Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Today, we have a true embodiment of the phrase, work hard, play hard. Our guest is a man who melds his rugged, nature-loving Kootenai spirit with his role as a production manager, inspiring his team to reach new heights every single day. He's a master of metal, a whiz with welding, and an ace at CNC programming. He's been in the steel trades and manufacturing sector for 16 years, including custom fabrication that's as tailor fit as a glove. This man knows the ins and outs of the industry and runs the game like a true pro. Ladies and gentlemen, let's crank up the excitement for Devin Gashoff. Devin is one of the powerhouse leaders at, of the pack at Drop Sprockets, tucked away in the beautiful heartland of the Kootenai region, British Columbia, Canada. He and the leadership team have taken this company on a joyride of exceptional growth, all while maintaining a culture of respect, teamwork, and most importantly, fun. Devin is not just an expert in his field, but a trailblazer, shaping his team members into industry leaders, equipping them with valuable skills and crafting exciting career paths for each and every one of them. But that's not all. He's not just about the work. He also embodies the play hard ethos of Kootenai. When he's not stirring up a storm in the manufacturing world, he's sharing his passion for the great outdoors, hunting, and the beautiful BC wilderness through his popular podcast, Come Out Heavy. With Devin at the helm, Drop Sprockets isn't just about manufacturing sprockets. It's about forging a culture. It's about living a good life the Kootenai way. So gear up, folks. We're about to drop into the world of Devin Gassoff and the bustling culture at Drop Sprockets. Hey, Devin, how are you doing today? Thanks for being on the show. Hey, Jim, I'm doing pretty good. Um, can't really complain. It's Friday morning <laughs> and uh, I'm getting paid to do a podcast with you. So <laughs> <laughs> drinking coffee, doing this for an hour a bit. Uh, I don't know if the boss likes it, but uh, I'm sure enjoying myself. I'm sure you are. And, and once uh, the boss sees and hears, uh, more importantly, hears the episode, uh, they'll be very excited with, with you taking this time out today. So thank them for me um, and uh, let's have some fun today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Devin, uh, before we jump into Drop Sprockets, because I want a little background on on the organization, uh, tell us about Come Out Heavy. Uh, it's not every day I have a fellow podcaster on the show. Tell us about what you got going on there. Yeah, um, so Come Out Heavy is uh, basically a it's a hunting podcast, and it's a backcountry hunting specific. And when we talk about that, it's you know not hunting out of your truck you're hunting out of hay fields you're putting backpacks on and it's like an adventure style hunting so like lots of you know mountaineering and, and climbing through the mountains and, and going on adventures and it kind of all started from my cousin and myself my cousin's curtis and we grew up together he's basically my brother we hunted our whole lives and later in lives when you were a little bit you know i guess more financially set and you had the, a little more time before kids we started you know going deeper into the wilderness hunting harder hunting different animals up here in bc um and then just really grew a passion for like the challenge of you know backpack hunting and putting all your gear and all your camp on your back and we did that for a lot of years and then how it kind of all started was we listened to a lot of podcasts about hunting 
and learning and trying to get better at hunting and and all the things and then you just kind of it's kind of like any podcast you just get really into the tech side of things so it's like this podcast or joe rogan's you're always going to listen to those certain episodes and one day we just sat there and we talked so much about hunting actually is the big thing and our (laughs) family would be like we i'd go home because we live 10 hours apart and i'd go home see my big family we'd sit around and we would sit there and talk hunting for four six hours a night drink beer hang out and they'd be like are you guys still talking about hunting (laughs) (laughs) and you know with that background or that kind of happening one day i asked the question like well, what podcast in British Columbia would you listen to for hunting? And Kurt's like, I don't know. There's a couple. They're not really our style or how we grew up or just hitting that. I don't know what we thought we're missing, like from mm-hmm. our backgrounds. So we were like, we were talking about a hunt one day on the phone. It was like an hour phone call. I was, he was telling me about a deer hunt he just did. Or maybe I was talking about what an elk hunt I did down here. And we literally said like, ah, oh, that's funny. That was basically like a podcast, what we just... <laughs> talked about and it was a joke because like oh we should start our own podcast and laughed and then the next day we text each other we should start our own this was during covid too so like everyone you had a lot of free time sitting around and listening to stuff and and so yeah we just said let's do it and let's run it off the cuff don't put a censorship on it don't try to be ignorant but be super real with what we uh put out there yeah and if people don't like it because of that, that's fine. But the people that will like it will like it a lot because it's <laughs> going to really relate. And that's basically what we're getting. We get the, you know, the calls or the not calls, but messages and, and whatnot of like, hey, like great podcast. It's like sitting around the campfire, drinking whiskey with the boys, uh, <laughs> telling stories. So that's what we did. And that's kind of where it got to. That's awesome. So it's, it's yeah, it's it's basically a campfire conversation uh, that's being recorded. I, I mean, how much exaggeration goes into each of these stories? I mean, I, I remember sitting around uh, hunting camps and, you know, uh, elk would get more points and, and uh, fish would get bigger and, and things of that nature. Do you have that going on on your podcast too? Well, you have to a little bit. Are you are you are you really a true outdoorsman or a fisher or a hunter if you don't embellish a little bit? You don't say you went 15 kilometers to get that animal and the, oh it was, you know, 24 hours of pack out, no sleep, you know. Yeah, of course. And that's what's funny because everyone tells the stories like that. Absolutely. Why censorship it? Why make it so unnatural is the thing we try not to do. That's awesome. And, just let it fly basically that's awesome well i have listened to a couple of episodes and and for anybody listening check it out it's really a it's a fun podcast to to listen to uh i listened to the elk one uh just the uh other day uh headed up to colorado so uh it was a good episode uh keep it up nice Thank you. Yeah, appreciate the listen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's jump into culture. Uh, drop sprockets. Tell us about drop sprockets. Uh, obviously, sprockets are made there, but tell us a little bit more about how many people are there, where you are, uh, the products you guys make, etc. All right. Yeah, drop sprockets. Um, I guess I can kind of just go back a hair on like what the company is and where it came from. It is kind of an interesting path, especially with myself a little bit. Um, Great. It's been, uh, it's pretty deep rooted in BC itself. 
and in the uh, power transmission wood products industry of logging, obviously forestry is what like drives the companies up here first. Sure. Um, and I'm probably going to get this wrong a little bit. My boss will get, he'll give me shit, but he never, <laughs> he never told me like enough of the background. But I, what's really interesting is I grew up in, like I live in the Kootenays now, but I grew up in a small forestry town in the interior of British Columbia, more north called Quinnell. And Drop Sprockets' original company, when he bought it or worked for it, was mm -hmm. called Quinnell Manufacturing. Oh, wow. So it was actually QM. So I thought it was really interesting that I traveled to the Kootenays to, you know, go to school and play hockey and then just kind of learned about this area and loved it and stayed. And then the company I ended up probably finishing my career or at least getting a big chunk of my career with ended up being from Quinnell originally. Like its roots came from my hometown. That's pretty neat. And that was a lot of years ago. So they were making these types of products, I don't know, 50 years ago. And then it eventually was purchased by um, our owner, Anders. And he's from Nelson, BC originally, which is right where we are in the Kootenays. Okay. And his dream and kind of, I guess, what he really wanted to do was take a manufacturing company, grow it, you know, be an entrepreneur with it. But instead of doing the easy thing, which is pretty respectful when you think about it, instead of going to the large centers like Vancouver or even farther south and going into the States or closer to where, you know, steel would be produced, the stuff we need to make our products. Yeah. He said, no, I want to go home. I want to do it. There's a way to do it. We'll figure it out. Well, the logistics is obviously going to be hard when you're way away from big centers, but let's figure it out because he's he felt like that was the way to do it. He wanted to bring something back home, some industry, some jobs and that type of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was pretty cool to kind of see that as it went. Um, and when, and they built the building, it was actually really interesting. They built the building that we're in now, uh, a kilometer away from where I was doing my apprenticeship, welding apprenticeship and, <laughs> and foreman before I worked there in the small Valley. And I didn't know it was here for years. And then they st he started the company. And um, actually, here's a little side story. I'll tell you about kind of culture and how people came to drop sprockets and stuff. Our uh, longest employee of, I think, 12 or 13 years now, mm -hmm. he started with Anders when the building was being built. And okay. Basically saw the construction site and like walked in and said, Hey, I know how to build stuff. I was a carpenter for years or I helped with construction. I want a job. And he bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. He <laughs> got the job eventually helped build the building, impressed the boss so much that he said, okay, do you want to build sprockets when the building's finished? And he's like, I don't know what a sprocket is. He's like, I'll teach you. And now he's like our longest tenured worker. He knows how to run every piece of equipment in the shop. He's, you know, part of our culture he's rooted in there and it's it's really interesting that it started right from the ground up with him and he never left that's awesome that's a neat story um how many people work at drop sprockets yeah so we at that time there was probably five people running the small little machine shop that he had started and when i started with the company there was about 15 of us okay and now we're at we're peaking on that like 60 60 people range wow yeah. Wow. That's, that's a good sized team. How many report directly to you? Yeah. So under me, there's around, I think 20 to 25 directly under me. We have two shifts of production staff that are, are building the product. And then there's mm -hmm. 
obviously all the support staff that go with that with maintenance and engineering and design and scheduling and supervisors and all that so got it all right so what 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 has been your cultural journey with drop sprockets i mean where was the culture when you started where is it now and and ultimately where do you and and the owner want to get it to when i started there was it was always a, a good cultural feel um the people were great and you know maybe that comes with a lot of places in in bc or especially the kootenays like like you kind of mentioned in the intro it is a lifestyle first before we just concentrate on work so you get a lot of just you know good good people rooted well but when we started you could feel that it was just like a team team camaraderie it was uh it was a small company at the time and we're still relatively small but it it had a big company feel you could feel the potential and it never, I think the big thing that we've always kind of done and strive for is to not separate management from production too much. Okay. Where everyone communicates. If you have a question for someone, don't go through their supervisor. You know, it's, it's kind of taught to like go and ask them and, and create that relationship with them and, and work through that. So that's kind of where it always was. Mm -hmm. And then kind of my journey with it. And, and I think like Anders, who's the owner and myself, he kind of, approached me on the outside of my old job and said like there might be an opportunity i'm growing my company like i need someone with more fabrication knowledge welding that kind of stuff might be a great opportunity for you to fit and we had worked on a few projects together actually as a contractor so we knew okay. each other um so i think he got a feel for like how i ran my crew at my other shop and i think he knew that me and him could be a good fit together as far as like I don't know, management styles and, and communication skills, which are all obviously important when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. When I came on, like I, I bring a, I bring a fairly, I would say competitive energy to most things I do. Mm -hmm. um, it comes from sports. Like it, it comes from there. So it's like, I always wanted to do, do better or, you know, build the team up to want to strive for the best that they could do at the time or with the tools and equipment we had. So I think that's kind of the big thing that people notice with me right away. And and my journey was interesting. Like I came on new as a journeyman, uh, like red seal fabricator. So coming into a manufacturing company as a tradesman, sometimes the transition can be, can be difficult because you know, they're not used to the new guy or what, what does that mean for everyone? Yeah. Um, but I, I've always had a good way of, you know, communicating and talking to people. And I didn't come in as like a boss, which was good. Uh, Anders probably knew that I was going to take those steps. And we had talked about my journey with the company. Mm -hmm. but we also knew that we weren't just going to, you know, put it in there like, oh, he's the new boss. That's what's going to happen. You know, I can remember my first days I came on and I knew what the path was going to be. But I remember organizing the shipping bay and running the forklift and moving boxes around and and you got to prove yourself to the team so i think that's the interesting thing with drop and maybe other companies don't always do is like you don't get a chance to really you know prove yourself to the team you're going to be working with and then gain their respect through like the i'll do anything to make the end goal instead yeah. of just saying like you do it so i think that's a, a kind of like the roots of the culture is like if if the boss will do it if the boss will do the lowest thing on the the totem pole yeah. then heck i'm gonna do it too 
Absolutely. I, it's that, you know, getting into the trenches and, and that's where you build that, that trust. Right. And, and that's such an important part of building that, that culture and maintaining it overall. Yeah. And like where the culture is kind of getting to now and what I've seen it, <clears throat> we've done a really good job in my mind of, of maintaining it so far with our growth. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something to be proud of. Absolutely. It, it takes effort. Like people who listen to this and are wondering like how do companies with good culture continue to do it? It's not easy. It's like anything. If it's worth doing, it's not going to be easy. Yep. Absolutely. Um, there's times where I feel like it's like, and I'm sure a lot of, of people in management are like, you know, I can't deal with, you know, being culturally good right now. I just want to <laughs> hit the end goal. And you have those moments. And I think it's really important to have those feelings, but also understand to like, put those negative thoughts aside and, and move forward with the, the why it's so important, especially in our region. Yeah. So you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, your region. Uh, let's dive a little deeper into, you know, uh, how remote is the Kootenai region and, and how do you find people if it's as remote as I have pictured in my head? Like I, in my head, Devin, I have this idea of like, pine tree mountains uh and this facility drops rockets like in the middle of them with the nearest town like kilometers away right to use yeah. a canadian you're, you're spot on yeah kilometers uh, nice, Jim. nice. Yeah. hey uh, do you even know what a kilometer me. is <laughs> i know that it's a measurement uh <laughs> i know that 3.1 are is a uh 3.1 miles is a 5k so there you do go. the math there um yeah. so uh talk to us about how you do find those people because uh, that that's got to be a challenge yeah, um, you're definitely spot on. You've you painted the picture of where our manufacturing facility is basically perfectly. So we're not even in a city. So when we call suppliers and we call uh, customers or, or whatever, and you're like, uh, we're, oh, this is drop sprockets and I'm calling from South Slocan, BC. And even people in like four hour cities away from us are like, <laughs> where? <laughs> And that's something to be like, that's impressive, you know, to have right. a manufacturing company and the, the goal path we're going to, uh, the nearest city, which is a popular two cities are basically, we're split between two cities, Castlegar, BC and Nelson, BC. Okay. And they both have a population somewhere between, I don't know, six to 10,000 each. Okay. Okay. So, so that's that how giant metropolis is themselves. No. So that's like when you say rooted in like the rural, like when you're at work, um, we're surrounded by trees. There's mm -hmm. one main highway that runs right by the facility, but there's also a river within a kilometer, a main river, uh, the Kootenai River. That's right there where you can see mountains on all four sides. Wow. There's no high rise. There's no industrial park. There's no steel supplier next door. Um, so, yeah, it, you wonder why would you do that as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. I, I, it's amazing. I, I've got this picture in my head that's maybe the most beautiful thing in the world. So I'm going to have to come there at some point, <laughs> yeah, uh, check out the facility and, and uh, uh, just get lost in the, the wilderness for a little bit. Um, but uh, again, yeah, how finding, do you people? finding people. Yeah. Go back to that. So yeah. the region pulls the people in. Okay. And once you understand that, 
I think is the big thing is you can find amazing people because you want to work really hard and be successful here so you can live here sustainably with a, with a career. And that's something to be said when, um, and that drives culture. So when I say the region pulls people, we've recently, like in our hiring process over the last two years, um, we get, so I don't know like your listeners. So, you know, Canada's as wide as the United States. It's a big country. Um, Ontario's on the far east. Yep. That's where Toronto is, the center of the universe. And uh, <laughs> and we get a lot of applicants from Ontario. And we've hired about half a dozen, I think, in the last two years. Wow. And that's not saying we're not, we don't only hire from Ontario, but we're getting these great applicants in all across from trades to sales to just supervising everything because they want to move to Kootenays. They want that it's lifestyle. A, they want the lifestyle. So they will work hard and be, you know, reliable employees and, and want to be part of a great team to get the chance to just settle down, leave the metropolis areas of Vancouver, Calgary, uh, and Toronto. Like we've had a couple guys and and it's funny because we're where we were driven by sports at our company and, and just from our culture. And man, these Leafs fans are something else. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, hockey is big in, in in Canada, obviously, and and yeah, they come over and oh, they talk about their Leafs, this Leafs, that. And, yeah, it's pretty funny. So, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so finding people, it, it's big. Um, it's definitely a challenge, and but it it they're there, and I I would attribute a lot to you know HR. We've hired. Uh, we finally like our company grew, and we finally understood that we need a, a head of HR in the sure. last two or three years. Got so it. we've hired a couple of great candidates there that have uh, helped, you know, shape and keep, you know, it was hard for us as managers. We had this culture idea, but there's no time. And they're really there as our backbone to continue to make sure we're staying engaged and with our people and making the right choices and hiring and helping support our hiring decisions. And, and having that support from, from our HR representatives has been huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that, the, the new representative that we've hired in the last uh, four months or three months here, uh, she wants to change it. Like she doesn't want, doesn't want it called P, uh, HR anymore. She wants it people in culture okay. is what she wants to call her department. So it's like a new face of HR. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's really, that's a really cool thing to always try to change and make people feel even more connected to HR. Like I never had an H. So like going back, I never had an HR head representative at any company I worked for before. Cause I was, I worked contracted trades yeah. and you don't really have that. Right. And so you always hear to HR and you get this like, Oh, Oh, you got to go to HR. You're in trouble. Right? <laughs> well, that's yeah. So it's like pretty common. And we try to make sure that that's like the complete opposite. Sure. Like if you have a meeting with HR, you should be like, yeah, I like her or him. Right. Like that's, that's going to be sweet. I always like having a conversation with them. So, uh, it has to be driven from the top. Um, while we're kind of on the like hiring thing, I, I thought I would tell you like I've done a lot of interviews now over the last five years, I guess. Like after I've been with the company, like I've been with Drop Sprockets for eight and a half years. Okay. So probably three years in, I kind of took the reins as uh, I guess like supervisor position, mm-hmm. um, and then currently I'm production manager. So I I get to be involved in a lot of hirings. Yeah. Um, 
Actually, I'm going to side note the hire. I have one. I have a couple points with the hire hiring process. One thing we did last year, we we identified that we needed to look at trying to get a general manager at our company. We okay. didn't have a general manager. Our owner and, and president um, was doing most of it, and then he's working on growing the business. So we just didn't have the right time. So we identified as a team that none of us at the time, the four of us at the lead, were ready to take on that position, and it wasn't going to be good for the company. So. The culture at drop is not the boss hires the general manager. Here's your boss. Right. And here's what you're going to do. What he did and what we all decided was the best play. We interviewed our general manager. Wow. He helped find the key candidates, like five mm -hmm. or four candidates. And the four of us at the top, my uh, now um, operations manager, our head of HR and our um, controller and myself, actually interviewed these people wow that's pretty neat yeah so it's a pretty wick well, a wild experience i think i'd say to try to interview your boss essentially <laughs> gives whole new meaning to manage your manager right <laughs> yeah and these people would come in and i think they were kind of blown away they're like i can't believe like i they really liked it but it was like holy like i have to like sell myself to my team that is gonna be my employees like you know what i mean so i i love that I, I yeah, really do. I don't. I've never really heard of that happening too much. Although I don't have a you know ear to the ground on on these types of things that well. But it was a really interesting experience. And in the end, we couldn't hire anybody. Really, <laughs> we were so critical as a group and collectively. We graded them. We went through all of it. We had and we could never find the person. So, um, no kidding. Which, yeah, which was okay because it also identified that we probably waited too late. We got to a level where the four of us and, and then five, including our owner, it was hard to put someone in that role because of what all of us were bringing to the table collectively. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, wh where do you say, I mean, you didn't hire somebody then. Are you still kind of general manager by committee now with the, the five of you uh, in the leadership team? Yeah, sort of. What we ended up doing was one of our leadership team members who at the time was like head of engineering design worked side by side with me. He got um, promoted and it was the right choice to move him as operations manager. Okay, smart. And then I just took straight production management. And then from there, we're going to see where it goes. It's still like probably out there as a thought that, yeah, at some point, whether we keep moving people up or can we externally hire, we might not be able to externally hire that position, Yeah, which is an interesting thought. It's good and bad, I guess, but I, I think it's good. I think it really speaks to our culture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let, let's talk more about that culture. Do you think that uh, Anders, <clears throat> because culture is just really the values of the owner, right? And, and the the alignment of those values with the employees who work there right and, and it sounds like kootenai as a region has a culture that's unique in itself how much of that regional culture do you think uh, helped uh anders shape the culture of drop yeah it's everything is it and and what i mean by that is and obviously i'll no i'll elaborate on that but uh he grew up in the Kootenays. Yeah. And what the Kootenay culture is, like every we keep talking about it, and people are gonna be like, Well, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, so <laughs> like you know, there you can put explicit on this. Yeah, episode. now I get to market explicit. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. There you go, HR. I told you I dropped one. 
<laughs> You're welcome, Hannah. Yeah. Um, so Kootenai culture, we're in the mountains. <clears throat> uh, from our facility alone, there's two major ski resorts within a half hour, 40 minutes, wow. both ways. Um, there's two other or maybe even three other minor ski hills. So wintertime is huge here. Uh, backcountry skiing, just skiing, snowboarding general. There's four or five cross-country ski areas to go to. Mm -hmm. So that's just the winter culture that's driven. Mountain biking's huge because of the same thing. The mountains are right there. The trails are everywhere. Uh, fishing, kayaking, the rivers and the big freshwater lakes um, are right there at your fingertips. Like Nelson lives on the west arm of Kootenai Lake, which is a big body of water. Um, okay beautiful clean like pristine wilderness it's the only industry that's on these waterways are hydro dams okay so Interesting. we're not there's no pulp there's one pulp mill outside of castlegar but it's a it's a very controlled system and it's not and then as you head towards trail there is like a tech metals so there is some down the way industry but like upstream from all this is very clean pure kind of yeah the kootenai lifestyle and hiking and in, in the backcountry is like you know, he, he's a skier. Okay. Um, he plays a bit of hockey. He's a mountain biker. He grew up the Kootenai way. And I think that's where the culture stems from is like, he sees how like engaged people can get with their lifestyle. So let's make sure that that is at the forefront of, uh, you know, where we, where we drive our decisions at the business. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. I grew up uh, outside of Steamboat Springs in, in northwestern Colorado for a couple of years uh, when I was younger. Lived there again as a, an adult and was building houses. And uh, I'll never forget how wild it was to me when I first started building houses up there that anytime it snowed more than six inches, we got a powder day right um yeah powder and, days are the real things around here the powder it, sickness right <clears throat> and and so just that i i imagine something similar up there right and, and the whole mantra of steamboat is you come for the winter but you stay for the summer right because it's so beautiful year-round people are drawn to the area for the skiing uh but they end up staying year-round because it's just gorgeous and there's so many different things you can do there well, the question is, you like you come to an area like this and you go, how can I live here forever? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? How can I make like this that, home? What can I do how, for a living? Yeah. What can I do as a person that doesn't completely strap me or stress me out or whatever and stay here and be successful in this area? And like we talk about, like we go camping a lot as a family and, and we do things like this. Most people drive four hours to come to here. <laughs> so like when we leave here to go camping we're like what are we doing <laughs> why did not we just go a half hour up the road and camp there or whatever you know so it's, it's pretty funny uh i'd wanted to before i forget i wanted to go back when we were talking about uh hiring and, and the struggles of that and and kind of our hiring process um i think you'll get a kick out of this and, and i'm sure the listeners will too maybe i'm giving secrets away too maybe my hr is like you can't fucking say that but i um, hope so i hope i get hate mail from hannah about this yeah, episode they swear at me too so they know <laughs> um so when we hire we hire for culture and when we say that we actually mean it and how we back that up so obviously we hire like anyone we have the questions like give us an example of you know something you did really good at your last job and something you struggled with or like you know those types of simple interview questions blah blah mm -hmm. blah 
Well, our last question at every interview we do, whether we're interviewing our general manager position, which was really fun, mm-hmm. at, or a production technician entry level. Okay. We ask, what is your favorite comedy movie? And honestly, this question is the reaction we get from people, like this, the sincerity out of it. And we don't actually care which, well, we do. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't say that. That's a lie. We do care what your favorite comedy movie is, but we love, as long as you answer it sincerely, that's what we're looking for. And it shows them that that's what we're, we're about. We're, we're not here to just be pencil pushers and number watchers, um, we want to have a good time. We want to you know, laugh with each other and, you know, be that that's where the culture comes from. So honestly, that question a lot of times is like the final factor between like two candidates. Like what did they say for the comedy movie answer? That's super interesting. Okay. What's your favorite comedy movie? So that, it's a tough question, but right off the top of your head, it, mine goes to Step Brothers. Okay. And great movie. It, it might not be my favorite, but when it's like that knee jerk reaction, just like, boom, Step Brothers comes to mind. Yeah, got it. All right. I'd have to say Anchorman or Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, that one's just been one of my favorites forever. Um, and I don't know if since that Step Brothers era, I don't know if I can say I've really loved any of the comedies that have been out. There haven't been great ones yeah. out lately, I don't think. Yeah, I would agree. There was like a <clears throat> turn of the 2000s, like early 2000s to the the mid there there was lots of good ones that came out like old school came out then oh yeah old school comes up a lot um your anchorman comes up quite a bit monty python we've heard especially from uh the elder class like your <laughs> your age <laughs> thanks man thank no, you i appreciate it that's awesome just, i just yeah. got called an old man on my own podcast that's fantastic <laughs> Giving you a hard time. Um, but no, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, who doesn't, I mean, I know that show, so it puts right. me in that age class too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. And, you know, sometimes they don't have comedy movies, but they'll say like comedy specials. So sure. like Jim Jeffries comes up and I'm like, well, yeah, if you like Jim Jeffries, then you're in. You're, you're a good fit. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the answers that you've gotten that, that you guys have been uh, like this guy's not going to fit or this woman's not going to fit. So this is actually really interesting. So we did this question when we were interviewing general manager candidates. So imagine being interviewed for like an hour, like hard nosed questions. These are like your actual pointed questions for like someone that's going to run a company. Yeah. And then the last one, and we say it like, well, and lastly, we have one more question for you. Like, and it's the most important question. That's how we say it every time. (laughs) That's how the setup is. That's awesome. Yeah. That's exactly (laughs) what we say. And we go, what's your favorite comedy movie? And most people are like, what? Like they blow back, whatever. And it's great. And then they said, oh, I don't know. No, you got to answer. Oh, and then it's great. So the worst answer came from our general manager candidate. And I guarantee you we weren't hiring him. And you know what his answer was? <laughs> I don't have one. And that's a stupid question. And we were like, nope. Wow. Like, that, that's an X. Like, it, and it's good though. Like, what did that just tell us? Yeah. We 100% weren't going to hire. And you know what? I mean, like, don't get me wrong. If he was the best candidate and our boss was like, we have to hire this guy, we obviously would have probably not let the comedy answer, but it would have been part of the conversation. Absolutely. You, it That's a pretty blunt cultural indifference when someone's like, it's a stupid question and it's like our favorite question. You're like, okay, 
that's fun. You don't fit our culture. Yeah, exactly. And that's so one of the things that I've I've realized in this journey, uh, having this podcast is there's really no such thing as bad culture, right? It's just a misalignment of those values. And I'm sure that candidate was a great candidate. They just didn't fit with you guys and, and the way that you operate, right? The values that you all have there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. And there probably is, well, there is bad culture, but not when you think you have good culture, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when, when you talk about culture there, you've got the work hard, play hard. How do you balance that with also developing the team, right? Both personally and professionally. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll think about that for one sec. Uh, there's a couple answers I think that come to mind. Okay. So development of the team so that they can also embrace the work hard, play hard lifestyle. Um, one thing that comes to mind right off the bat is the shift that we selected. Okay. So I'll kind of run you through what happened through COVID with us. Yeah. Um, obviously, we know what COVID did to the industrial world and, and work in general. Uh, social distancing, masks, all these huge mandates that came in. Mm -hmm. At that time, we said, well, we're going to keep operating, obviously, as a business. Like, we're not closing, so we're going to figure this out. And what that made us do is split our crew into two crews, two shifts. We ran seven days a week because of it so that we could socially separate. Yeah. And keep everyone gainfully employed. Yep. While That's we great. were doing this, all of a sudden, we because what drops sprockets brings to the sprocket world and and the industry that needs sprockets and power transmission products is speed okay we are the kind of manufacturer it's mto manufacturing so always usually made to order yep. so you cost a little bit more custom a little bit more hey can you guys do this can you do that and how fast well we try to turn quotes around in under an hour we pretty much hit 80% of our orders at three to five day deliveries, um, depending on size, obviously. And that's had been unheard of in the industry that we work in. Mm -hmm. Well, when we went to seven days a week, now we got two days that weren't in a business week to work with and get ahead. Sure. On product. And we're like, huh. And obviously, like, we're not the first to be like, oh, let's run a seven day a week <laughs> shift. Like, don't get me wrong. We knew that shift was out there. But when you're yeah, when you're talking about work hard, play hard right. on our weekends. Right? right. How do you run seven day shifts without running graveyards? And and that was the thing with like us. We were like, don't we don't want to run the a seven day a week shift and have to run afternoons and graveyards and and 12s and all these things because we looked at it really first as like a people side of it mm -hmm. how is this going to affect the employees and how do we keep our culture intact by switching them to working potentially on weekends and stuff so coming out of covid we wanted to keep it rolling so yeah. we came up with a, a four on four off which isn't our invention but what we did with it instead of the traditional uh 12 day or 12 hour days mm -hmm on a four on four off, we just added the option of what we call a crossover day. So we just add an one extra day to the each shift a, a month and the whole team's there. Okay. And it's really nice because the whole team gets to see each other. We, uh, we have meetings like that. We talk about events. We talk about what we need to improve, what we're doing well. 
Um, and I think it brings the team together so we don't have that big division. Yeah. And, it, and, and do it, you do team events through that as well? Like, uh, yeah, we'll announce our team events. So like, that's cool. a big thing at drop. We try to always have team events throughout the year. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So when you're talking about development, it was like, how do we give them, you know, the, the lifestyle ability? Well, we give you four to four days off right. <laughs> in a row every week. That's amazing. So, and then give you the opportunity on the shop floor to, you know, hone your skills. We don't, we don't paint you in a corner. Um, I kind of had a thought, like, I think I wrote it down even on this. If you're like, number one for us, if you're like a driven, like hardworking cultural fit and you're just, you're just doing that consistently, mm -hmm. then it doesn't go unnoticed. And you go in your three month review or your six month review, it goes, okay, I want to train you on more pieces of equipment. I want you to feel like you're even more valuable to the team. Sure. You know, giving giving people that feeling of like they add some value to those days because they can see the you know like a an entry level sees like a journeyman doing stuff. They're like, well, I wish I could help more in those situations. So you just start to give them those opportunities, and and they really they really thrive w when you identify it correctly and and you work with them and and you create that relationship. I've found. Yeah, that's and, awesome. I mean. That's kind of the development phase. It's like you have the time to play because we've given you four days off. So when you're here for four days, you work 10 hour shifts and they work pretty hard because they're they're recharged when they come back. Wow. I, I love that. And is that for everybody or just production? Yeah, just production. So that's the interesting part of it. It's like <laughs> us, us as management sits back and goes, how can we get a shift like this? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And it's on it's on the list. Maybe it, there is something there at some point. It's tough right now. And we understand that as a management group. We're not naive to the fact that you can't have it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, folks like Hannah and stuff like that, they're, they're working standard hours. Yeah, so our marketing team right now works uh, Monday to Friday, okay. uh, standard hours. Uh, same with like sales. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of sales to be had on weekends and stuff like that. Um, so they work Monday to Friday, management's Monday to Friday. Now, one thing we did do when we talk about keeping culture up and keeping like a team mentality, I don't want division on my shop floor. I don't want this shift versus that shift. Yep. I don't want one supervisor is better than the other that kind of stuff. So what we did with our supervisors, we actually offset their shift. So they have to supervise both shifts. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. How, how yeah. does that, how does that work for the supervisors and for the teams? It's great because when, when I look at my production floor, I look at production vulnerabilities, right? Okay. Tell us more really about that. Yeah. So you're really vulnerable in my, in my mind or my thought, if you're a supervisor, you're supervising a, you know, a group of machinists and welders and, and all these tradesmen and shippers, receivers, and you're trying to get product out and you only supervise one shift, but we need you to cover time off on the other shift, or you need to come in when someone's sick or you're, you know, just those, those times where you might have to see the other shift. If you don't know those people and you don't form that relationship with them, then you're not going to get the most out of them or the shop floor. Yeah. And you can't, I don't like it where it's like, oh, well, so-and-so shift is this. No, no, there's no so-and-so shift. We're all one big shift. There's no this shift versus that shift. Yeah. We, when you, when I ask guys to work a day of overtime, you're going to be on the other shift. So you got to know everyone. So it's not a, I don't, I don't stand for it when there's, and there will be like, just cause you have great culture 
you're still going to have uh, employee relationship issues. You're still going to have people are still people. Yeah. We're not perfect, but I'm not scared to have those hard conversations and be really real with these guys. Like I've had a few and I'm like, if you can't work together, it won't work out. Like, yeah. I like both of you as a shift. You guys need to figure it out or she or whatever, but it's been more boys than girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As far as the problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> undoubtedly absolutely um <laughs> so uh how how do you and and anders and the rest of the leadership team uh plan to continue to foster this uh quite frankly super unique company culture moving forward yeah that's a that's a challenging thought sure and it's one i want to i'll be really proud if we can I will be really proud of our achievement if we can continue to grow where we want to get to. So say we're at 60, maybe mm -hmm. our ultimate growth. These are like really loose numbers, but 150 employees wouldn't okay. be unheard of at yeah. the facility one day. Okay. How to foster culture to that level. Yeah. I don't, I've never seen it in the, in the area because those types of companies, it's too big to foster it is mm -hmm. what people say. But, between the core leadership group that I've worked with, none of us are quitters. Okay. And I feel like we can do it as a team. I for me personally, when I think about that as a challenge, what am I going to do as a leader to try to continue to maintain it? The biggest thing I think about is I, I look back at like, who are the leaders or when you, when I say leader, it could just be owner of a company or bosses in the past that I've worked with. What have I taken from them that I keep using? And what have I also noticed that maybe wasn't working? Yeah. And it's hard to not completely disconnect and only think about the business side of it when you get to those levels. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I want to actively try to maintain those core relationships with my staff, have those good conversations with them, um, not always be thinking about business first. Yeah. And these might be like, you know, fluffy ideas. People make, oh, you can't do that and run a business successfully. I think you can. I, I think I that's agree. the only way to run a business successfully, long-term cultural, is to say hi and ask. So know that so-and-so has a couple kids or they're, you know, they got something coming up. Like just small little moments in the day where you can say like, how's, how's your uh, son doing in, in baseball or, or how's, uh, you know, so-and-so doing here. And I think it's like, an, I enjoy those, those connections. And if you enjoy, you know, creating a, a connection and a relationship with your staff and you can see them respect that, uh, I think you just have to continue that. You have to try not to lose that because it's easy to lose it. I can feel it. You can feel it like it's an easy, it's an easier out, I guess, Jim, like you yeah. can be like, nah, it's easier just to be a boss, only Absolutely. worry about numbers. Yep. Right. So yeah, I that's, think that that's a whole <clears throat> human centered leadership is a, a whole terminology, right? Where you, you prioritize the human above the profits. Right. And, and I wrote a, a paper on it a year and a half ago. And I got so much backlash when it was published. Uh, oh, that, because you can't do it? Yeah, you can't do yeah. that. You have to focus. And <clears throat> I, 
I will argue, and uh, I've helped implement at certain facilities, that it is possible. The profitability will come if you yeah. treat people like human beings. And, and it's just, it's amazing the the knee-jerk reaction that that's not something that, that can be successful in our industry. Well, and that's, you know, so at Drops Rockets, we, uh, I mean, we're like every company, we say the people are our greatest asset. Right. right. And I've, you've heard lots of companies say that you got to back that up, yep. right? And how do you back that up? Well, that's something when you talk about like, or how will I know if I've backed that up, that the people are our greatest assets and they appreciate that and they respect that. What I want to be known for. So you kind of talked about or asked, like, where do I want to see the culture going? Like in five years, in two years, in whatever our growth. So let's say 150 is where I, where I call our our big number. Yeah. What do I want to see the culture at at that point? If I know we're doing a good job around this, cause we're small, like you're saying rural where we're at. Yeah. I want drop to be talked about as man. Have you heard what the employees get there or how they're treated or it's not, Hey, it's a, you can make a lot of money. Have you heard of the wage you can make a drop? Like that's usually all you hear about big industrial sites. So yep. like big sawmills, big refineries, and that's fine. I'm not judging those people, but we're not going to be like that company. Yeah. So if we're successful with keeping our culture going the way it is now and maintaining it, people should hear drop sprockets in the area and be like, oh, I've heard it's great to work there. I heard the people are so fun and I heard they do beer Fridays because we do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and I'll talk to you about that a little bit. I'll uh, yes, talk to you but... <laughs> about events and culture. It, yeah. It's on my list. But like, it's not just about that, but it's also like, oh, and I also hear that the day goes by really fast because they're busy, but their boss doesn't yell at them for not doing a good job. Right. Like, I don't know. It goes with like, treat your, treat your people. Like you want to be treated for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, obviously it, it, it's, it's that thing you learned in kindergarten, right? Yeah. Now I would say like, we're like, I said before, we're like super deep rooted in, in our sports competitiveness. I mean, yeah. and what I mean by that is we talk about sports as a group and how we continue to engage people that aren't sports fanatics yeah. is we, we run uh, pools. We yeah. do $5 entry. We do hockey pools. We do March Madness brackets. We do Super Bowl prop bet sheets. We do Masters golf tournament. We do. <laughs> uh, we don't do football yet, but we're looking at it. So we do all these things, and people are like, "Well, I don't know anything about sports. Don't worry about it. Like five dollars. It's just a super a easy thing. Just pick squares. <laughs> yeah, do that. And then the company doubles the pot. So whatever we get, the company doubles it. Oh, that's awesome. And then, then we pay out the top five or top three, depending on the the picks. But the whole time, it's all about chirping each other. It's about doing side bets with your staff. Like, <laughs> I got a side bet with our controller right now. I lost in the regular season of the hockey pool, 20 bucks. So we doubled down. She said, okay, double or nothing going into playoffs. I said, yeah, for sure. And right now I'm sitting two points behind her. So I got two points to make up with the last couple rounds of the hockey going or else I owe her $40 and she always wins. Isn't it funny how accountants always win when it comes to money? It's, it's the analysis, the risk reward analysis that they're able yeah. to do. I guess. She's cheating. She took, a, she took a lowly old welder. She's taking advantage of me. That's yeah. awesome. Who, who's your pick for the Stanley cup? Oh, now Florida. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking good. They it's a pretty impressive tough. run they're on. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so tell us about Beer Fridays and some other initiatives that you guys have implemented to, uh, you know, keep this culture going, this this mindset. So <clears throat> I'll tell you a little back history for me on Beer Fridays and why it's, I mean, it's not uncommon for the industrial space trades and, and areas to have like a, a beer with the boys. It was back in the day. It was like the old boys club. Right. And my dad, uh, he was an elect- industrial electrician, long tenuous career in the uh, mill sectors in Quinell, mm-hmm. uh, worked for an industrial contractor. And I grew up, <laughs> this is going to be a funny a little bit of funny story (laughs) mom would have to pick dad up on friday afternoons from the shop (laughs) okay so yeah so i would go with mom and she would have a drink with the wives because all the wives seemed for some reason all the boys on fridays needed to ride home (laughs) so all the wives would get together before they had to go pick up the husbands uh, yeah basically (laughs) but it was like so i got thrown into that culture of like sitting there around the tables watching these journeymen tradesmen drinking beer swearing talking there was this was back in the day where there was nudie calendars on the wall still from your industrial suppliers like you're exposed to some stuff when you're (laughs) eight years old (laughs) listening to these stories um but it, it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, that's that's the big thing. Is like it was a culture. You could see it. It was like just like hockey is, just like football. It was just that team. You created a team with it. Yeah. So we used to do it here and there, like grab a sack of beer after a good week at drop or whatever. But then we really turned it into something. We were like, nah, we this is something. We got to keep this going. And I was like all for it. When we talked about it, I'm like, yes, I remember it as a kid. It was a big event. Like obviously we aren't trying to get people drunk and going home. But just like <laughs> It's that quick social. Stop talking about work. Yeah. Talk about your weekend, what you're up to, and yeah, have a couple beers or you know, hails or water if you don't drink. But please right. stay. We so when we talk about beer Fridays, we try to bring a few different varieties of beer, uh, maybe a few ciders, uh, bubbly water, that kind of stuff. Like, don't stay. Don't feel like you can't stay because you don't drink alcohol. Yeah stay for the social time of it and the people that you're like oh i'm not gonna stay and then they do are usually the ones that talk more than anyone (laughs) you know that's what it's about it's about poking fun at the apprentices for making mistakes throughout the week you know you know what i mean like you're like hey why did you fuck that bore up or why did you you know why would you do that and you do it in front of everyone so everyone laughs and it's like this big thing so um, that's kind of where beer friday is and and what we wanted to see with it what we really want to see with it in our vision because we're a really tech company when it comes to manufacturing. Okay. Yeah, um, we haven't even talked about innovation no, and technology. We'll, we'll have to go to innovation and technology yeah. still, but at the forefront, it's tech. And we want to, we have like scan ins and, and different key fobs and stuff. On Fridays, we want to be able to like <clears throat> scan, we want to have a keg and your own drop like cup. And then you like scan and it'll fill your cup. Okay. And then you can go out. And so you, we have like our own beer we want to develop. Like that's what we actually want to see Beer Fridays going to, which is actually really interesting. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, would you brew it there on site? Would you private label something that? Yeah, you know, we'll like see. There's so many. Mi- golden or something. That- yeah, well, there's so many microbreweries around our area. Like Nelson Brewing Company has its own. There's a Torchlight, Backroads. There's three brewing companies right in Nelson. And okay. there's about three or four more around the area. It's pretty pretty popular around here. But we actually have it. There is a, a distiller, not a distillery, like your own 
like you brew right in our facility too that rents a space so oh, cool. we could potentially set something up with them um either way if it's not that advanced it doesn't matter it yeah. that would just be cool yeah but you just got to do it like if you're thinking about doing it do it and do it consistently is the big thing i think that's what that's what people is, appreciate yeah absolutely and, and so you know from your memories of of being a child are are you having employees bring the next generation of drop employees right are are, are kids families welcome to these beer fridays for sure i mean i don't think we've like on us to like we haven't scheduled them as much it's usually more like hey let's grab some beer we'll just surprise the crew and do it so if yeah, we yeah. can get it a little more scheduled i would love to see that family okay. events show up uh we've had families come like if you talk about bringing families in to see stuff so we have a uh, another it's a group of companies here at drop so there's another division called drop marine okay um and we build uh work tugboats and and different parts for the industry that uh mill ponds and where they need to, wow. you know, gather logs. And yeah, it was a, it's a pretty cool venture. So drop Marine is another thing we do. And, it, and it's a lot different than sprockets, but still manufacturing and welding fabrication machining. When we, a tugboat's pretty cool. Yeah. And <laughs> we're probably the craziest tugboat manufacturer ever <laughs> because we're not, we're not on water. <laughs> Most people who build boats of are on wise yeah. on water i mean it's usually <laughs> easier to see trial your boats when there's a water source close yeah yeah um but we build a tugboat like a 25 foot long tugboat with a blue cab and a black hull and a big propeller and who doesn't like that more than a kid yeah seriously so when we like christen or send our boats off they're in their finished stage we usually like to do an event we usually say like hey bring your family out we'll have some burgers or uh bubbly waters and stuff and let the kids climb around on the tugboat like a jungle gym and, and show off what we built so that's something that's pretty cool and i think that's uh, been really really uh, successful that's awesome that's awesome so yeah real quick let's let's touch on some of the innovation and technology the culture of innovation and, and technology that you guys have there i mean you're again in the middle of the mountains and pine trees how how have you fostered uh, that culture of innovation and, and brought in some cool technology? Yeah, so it comes from our owner for sure. Like, so driving the tech sector and the tech side of things comes from his mindset first. Okay. Um, and then, and what I mean by that is like spending probably more money than you need to to build a sprocket, but seeing why that's going to be super beneficial in say three years yeah. or as we know as just people in the world nowadays but especially in the industry if you're not tech forward you're falling behind absolutely absolutely and you, and you can't be tradesmen and think that that's not the same thing mm -hmm. so he was always tech forward so and it was he got always got pushed back from you know welders and fabricators and guys who are used to just simple blueprints and just build it and whatever blah 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 but once you understand the values and embrace it. And as leaders, you really got to embrace it because then you just teach your team why it's so successful. Yeah. And when, when I talk about tech, I mean, we have our facility is, you know, high end as far as the type of equipment we purchase. Um, most sprocket companies would have bought a like a torch center or a plasma table before a water jet machine. We went the other way, bought the water jet first, the more tech forward piece. Really? Of yeah so like started with that like that's how forward it was and then took five years before we bought a, 
a torch center. Um, wow. And then implementing like our own crib management systems. So our inventory systems, like we don't, to keep the amount of uh, consumables and, and shop supplies we'd need on, you'd need three or four procurement people. Yeah. Well, he went the other way and is like, he, he's very clever with uh, computers and, and that side of it, his background in, in engineering and different things. And he was like, no, I'm going to purchase used crib systems. We're going to develop the software ourselves. We're going to make sure everything works. And, and we're going to, man, it's going to manage itself right down wow. to right down to toilet paper, right down to bars of soap, to uh, stacks of paper for our printers that we barely use. Because I'll say right now, we're basically a paperless company and we have been for probably three, four years. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and how we're paperless is everyone on our shop floor has an iPad. Really? Yeah. So wow. that, that was a tech investment that you don't see that often. No. So when you come to work at Drops Rockets, uh, if you have a computer, you use your computer to sign in. But if you're an employee on the shop floor, you'll have an iPad. You sign into your day. You clock in through uh, our software and you then go to our planning by user or our schedule for the day. You yeah. click the first little colored square. It tells you what job you're doing. You start your job. It tracks it. It gives you your drawings there in live time. It tells you estimated times that we think it should take to do this job. It feeds you all the information you need and you go on with your day and you mark it as done. When you're finished, you move to the next one. You move to the next one. And our scheduler just keeps backfilling you throughout your day. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so we don't run any drawings off paper. There's a lot of good benefits to that. When we need to make quick revisions, we need the designers to change something, we need to do anything like that, it's instant. It's like, hey, can you update this drawing, put this tolerance there, change this? They do it, they reload the PDF, it's there already. Wow. So And it, then it's there the next time. Yeah, and that, that just allows for quicker decision making, which then leads to faster production, right? Cycle times. Cycle times, it leads to uh, sales. Like I we have team chats everywhere. So if sales needs to ask me a question based on production volume, hey, can we get this rush product out today? It's instant, I get instant messages. There's no walking across the facility to find so-and-so, you just message everyone. Um, so obviously we're using that part of tech, which isn't a new thing, like instant messaging. If you're not using instant messaging or communication and keeping your communication open nowadays, yeah. you're way behind in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's um, really cool. The kind of, to go in even more tech wise, we've actually, I don't even know if I'm, they might have to cut this out. I might not be allowed to say this, but I think I am. Um, <laughs> we have a, we have a software division that we also have at our company and that's a new company that just started this year. Interesting. We have our own programmers. We've developed our own drop manufacturing software or drop sprocket software um, that connects us all between sales and accounting and manufacturing and inventory and all that stuff. So that's how tech forward we are. We're a tech, we're actually defined as a tech first company before manufacturing. That's wild. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and when we talk to, like, we've grown our business very strongly in the United States. And when we talk to uh, distribution branches and sales, outside sales teams and things, they come for a tour and they're like, this is incredible. No one's doing this. And you guys are small and you have a greater technology band than some of the biggest companies we've ever seen. So wow. 
And you have wow. to like in this day and age, what, and, and when you go back to culture, like, and this is a culture thing, we're not talking about how to be better manufacturers here, right? People are proud to work at a place that's innovative. Absolutely. You want to talk about building culture, put some pride in what you're doing. When they see us spend more money and more time developing these better things, they feel like you're trying to build a long-term company that's going to be reliable and sound for many years to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's really cool. I, I had no idea. I love it. Um, so my last question for you, Devin, is how do I get to drop sprockets? If I were flying in from Phoenix, which airport am I looking, am I searching for? Uh, you're going to have to fly into two cities first. So either Vancouver, British Columbia, which is our main, main city. And then you'd have to fly into Castlegar, or as we like to call it, Cancelgar, because, <laughs> because of the mountains. Um, but the other way is Kelowna, BC, also has an international airport. Okay. Kelowna is a beautiful city right in the, what we call the Okanagan region. It's a very summery cottage country type region. Um, okay. And then, yeah, you're either driving. There is airports into our area, but like I said, you're hit or miss depending on the time of year. Summertime is pretty good, but uh, any... There's like a six month time where it's uh, 50% <laughs> chance you're flying in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I, I just have to find time, but I, I'm going to book a ticket and come up there because it just sounds from the, the region to the organization itself. I, I just, it sounds amazing. And I, and I've got to come see it with my own eyes. For sure. I mean, when we talk about things that we do in the region, like when we talk about our events, Besides just beer Friday, besides just drinking beer, we do do other things. <laughs> There's more than just drinking beer. I love it. Barely. But uh, yeah, like I touched on like the sports pools aspect. That's really fun. Um, we usually try to do a golf tournament uh, as, a, as a company okay. every year. Um, one thing we do that uh, usually really people are like, wow, I can't believe you do that is uh, we take our team skeet shooting once a year. Usually. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that one's a pretty big hit for people who've never shot a firearm before and stuff sure. like that. So, um, yeah, those are the types of events. Uh, they'll do like tune up your bike nights. So they'll drink some beer and everyone will clean up their bike and tune it up. They'll do a ski waxing event every once in a while. So <laughs> just just all that little little things like that. They did a beach volleyball game the other day, the social committee, where after work they went to a local beach and played some volleyball and drank some beer. and Or maybe they drank water. I don't know. <laughs> More than likely it was beer. Um, yeah. That sounds awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to get on uh, your or Hannah's mailing list for these events. And I, I'd love to to hit that skeet shoot. Uh, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Devin, Devin, what's, uh, you know, what... What are some parting comments, uh, thoughts, uh, advice that you have for for the listeners uh, of this episode? Yeah, I kind of one kind of big parting thought on how I guess well, how I would say how you want to engage yourself with being a good leader of culture, if that's a fair statement. I, I think I'm yeah. a good leader of culture from what my people have told me and, and conversations I've had. I attribute it to things I know really well. Okay. okay. So you got to have something in your past, your childhood, something you were passionate about and why you were good there as a leader and, and what you learned in that. So I attribute 
and it's just me, but I attribute everything to what I learned in hockey. Okay. I played fairly high level hockey, like into junior type levels. And, okay. um, and I value hockey as a sport a lot. And, and it would be the same in your guy. I know hockey's not as big in the States. It's definitely getting bigger, but uh, like football and, and baseball and, you know the leaders of the game. Yep. And I had some that I grew up watching or knew, and the best leaders are the ones that when the game was on the line or you needed that, it's not always about goals, right? It's not about scoring. It's about laying it all on the line and doing whatever it takes. And a hockey player is like the – a true hockey player, that's what they do. They do whatever it takes. They block shots. They fight if they have to. They take a hit. Yep. You know, and that's the true leader. So I take that and and think about that and like, okay, if I want my team to always value like just doing their best and trying to make the right decision, then I need to also show that, that I'm willing to, you know, clean out that machine. I'm willing to get dirty and, and it can be done. It It's not just saying do it faster or do it better. Yeah. If it's not, show it. And then yeah. they you they see it and i think that's the biggest thing is you got to find like whatever's rooted in you is like what you saw as a child or as as a adolescent whatever don't even child but just as you grew through your career and what inspired you to be better at something i think is the big thing that i look at so like hockey was me being a true leader and that's what i try to bring every day to work that's awesome and i think that there's something to be said for that right the people who play team sports yeah. While they grow up and, and through their childhood and adolescent years uh, tend to have that uh, at least respect for leadership. If they're not leaders themselves, not everybody can be leaders. Right. But at least they they understand leadership and, and what they value out of good leaders. Um, so I, I definitely think there's something to that. And I think, uh, you know, one thing we always say and I still have to catch myself sometimes is, is we win as a team and we lose as a team. Mm-hmm. So it, you you always have to check yourself. Even if that is your mentality, you might be like, Oh, well, why did they, why did sales do that? And it's like, well, that's just what happened. When is a team loses a team? Cause we make mistakes too in production that hurts their ability to, to sell or, or, you know, keep a client happy. So you gotta win as a team, lose as a team. And the other thing is let people be, people is something I always think of. And that's a stupid sounding phrase. (laughs) But what I mean is let people build like as bosses and owners. And I know the bottom line is all that you care about. And that's good. It's not all that you care about, but like a big part of what you need to care about. You got to let people connect with their coworkers. Yeah. So don't always be on them for that little bit of social time or like, if I wasn't so uh, connected to my other management staff, we wouldn't be the team or the culture that we are today without yeah. having a little bit of like social relationship with my boss now and um, the controllers and the HR staff. You got to be human with these people, and if you don't let your your leaders be human with each other, then they don't. They're not going to want to lead your company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh- couldn't agree more. Great parting comments. Uh, thank you so much, Devin. The, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. 
it's been an absolutely wild ride uh, with Devin today. Uh, we've journeyed through the breathtaking Kootenai region of British Columbia. We dove deep into the world of manufacturing at Drop Sprockets and even explored a little bit of the BC wilderness through our, the eyes of our incredible guest, Devin Gasoff. We've learned about the transformative power of strong company culture and how it can catapult a company into exponential growth. We've heard about the work hard, play hard ethos that defines Kootenai culture and forms a beating heart of drop sprockets. And we've discovered how Devin's leadership style, characterized by respect, teamwork, and his youth sports, has helped shape the company's journey, all while nurturing a passion for the great outdoors and the quote unquote good life of Kootenai. To hear more stories like Devin's, be sure to check out our website, manufacturingculturedpodcast.com, where you can find all, uh, not all of our episodes, uh, but a little bit of the back catalog and immerse yourself in the dynamic world of manufacturing culture. If you've loved today's show, and I bet you did because I loved recording it, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, and anyone else who loves a good story. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate if you could take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. The feedback helps us continue to bring you stories you love straight from the heart of the manufacturing world. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, every great culture begins with a single step. So let's step forward together and continue shaping the world through manufacturing. And as always, have a good day and keep making things.